All right, so we are um, in Matthew chapter 25 this morning. So we hit a very uh, familiar to many of us story of, uh, of Jesus. And we look at it in terms of generosity. So if you have your place in Matthew 25, go ahead and stand or it's going to be behind me or it'll, it's in your bulletin. <clears throat> this is God's word to us. For it, that'll be um, when, he, when Jesus says that, he means the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have back what is yours. But the master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant to the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." That's a happy note. This is the word of the Lord given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, your word is true and it, um, it guides us. And not only guides us, it transforms us by the power of your spirit. As a matter of fact, your promise is, is that when we come before it, we will not leave without it accomplishing its purpose. And so our, our request this morning, what we ask of you is that that purpose would be for our good that you would use it to um, soften hearts that are hard, to transform those hearts that are dead, to make them alive. You would make us more like Jesus this morning. We need that, and only you can give it. So we, we look completely to you as a servant looks to the hand of its master. So we look to you, Lord, until you will have mercy. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so believe it or not, um, this is the second to the last week in our generosity series. And so what that means is that um, we're getting a little more down to some brass tacks, which for many of you is going to be helpful because we've been talking about generosity for, I think, uh, this is our sixth week, I think. And and for for many of us, what's been challenging or, or even puzzling about that is that in six weeks, we've barely talked about money. And this is a series on generosity. 
And there's good reason for that. And that's because the Bible, in fact, talks about how our relationship with our money, not in terms of a to-do list, but in terms of an indicator of where our hearts are. That it's actually a heart issue. And so, um, let, me, let me just, for the last, let me just kind of review what we've talked about for, for a little bit of that, okay? So, in one sentence, what I would, what I would say in terms of review over, again, and, uh, the six weeks that we've studied this topic is that what we do with our money is actually part of Christian discipleship. That's a churchy word. What that means is kind of what it means to walk out the Christian life. That actually our relationship with our money, what we do with our money, what we do with our stuff is part of that. And so if you're a Christian this morning, what you do with your money is, is uh, part of what it means to follow Jesus. Which is to say, if your Christianity does not touch your wallet or your bank account, I would invite you to... Uh, question some things. Maybe it's, maybe it's faith in total. Maybe it's just how, um, how strong that faith is. But in fact, the, the scriptures would say, and, and Jesus himself would say, that where our treasure is, our heart is, and it is a great indicator of, of where we are with him. Okay? So last week we looked at how we looked to money to provide us with security and satisfaction, but it can't do that because it can't keep us safe. And, and it can't satisfy us because the satisfaction that we're looking for is only to be found in the God that we were made for. Um, and so Jesus actually gives us both through faith alone. He reconciles us to the God who satisfies us and because he conquered sin, death, and hell, he actually holds us in the palm of his hand. You'll, you'll remember that if, if we were here uh, or if you were here last week. And if this is the case then, then what do we do with this? What do we do with our money? And so, like I said, this week, but especially next week, so if you're like uber pragmatic, uber practical person, next week is for you, okay? This week, we're getting a little more into it. Uh, what, what do we do with this? And so, what we're going to be dealing with as we address this story is the notion of stewardship. Stewardship. And that's just going to get us to this, this one point, the point that I want to hit this morning. And that's simply this, that God gives as he pleases, and he gives for his purposes, he gives as he pleases and for his purposes, okay? Now, let's get into this. So, this morning, what, what we're not going to do is walk purely through this story. What I want to do is, again, uh, as, we, as we come to this passage, uh, this passage commonly called the parable of the talents, um, it, it, it's kind of, we're coming to this for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of, the whole thing's about what people do with money, Right? The strange thing is actually it's not purely about money, to which you're saying, well then why are you preaching on it? Well, it does speak to money as well as everything else we've been given, okay? And so parables, if you're not familiar with that, Jesus spoke in parables a lot of times. And what he would do is he would be telling a story that was meant to um, help people understand what it was that he, what, what the kingdom of God was like, what the new world would be like that he redeems, what his mission was like, how we were supposed to live within that. But he was doing it in a kind of, for lack of a better word, a code that kind of was, was obvious to those who he would say had ears to hear, but to others, not so much, okay? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to draw four principles from this passage um, and, then, and then two 
attitudes, okay? Four principles. Does that make sense? All right, let's get into the first one. Here's principle number one. Everything comes from God and it remains his, okay? Everything comes from God and it remains his. Look down at verse 14 if you have your, if you have your Bible open. Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, you heard me read the story already. The point of this entire thing is that these servants, and we'll get into that translation here in a minute, what they are engaged with, what they are dealing with is the property of their master. And in verse 19, the dude comes back and he settles accounts, okay? In other words, uh, what that means is that he, what he gave these guys was not like, here you go, here's some money. It was, I'm giving this to you, and I'm going to return and call you to account to what you've done with it. We're going to settle accounts. Okay, so how does this speak to our money? Well, the Bible is clear that wealth, that resources, comes from God, right? We heard that this morning in, the, in our Old Testament passage that Kathy read for us. In that, in that passage, that is the kind of the, the prayer um, that, that is said over the temple. And the entire point of that is, is God's people saying, yes, we gave from our resources to see this thing built, but we can't say like, look at the good we did because you are the one who gave it to us. So all we've really done is given back to you what was already yours, okay? And so the principle here is simply this, that everything we have, riches and honor as as, as it was said, come from you and you rule over all of it. That means all that we have, including the dollar signs and the digits in your bank account, are from him. Now, I know that can be a little offensive to some of us, right? Because we're like, you know, I, I made that. I did that. You built your wealth. You built your business. You built your perfor- por- uh, portfolio. You built your paycheck. Or did you? Or did you? Think with me for a minute. You want to know why I have the job that I have right now, like here, doing this? And everyone's like, well, you were called of God, and God called you to da-da-da-da. Let me tell you from a, from a very, and, and all that's true, so uh, that's true. But let me tell you how this actually happened. Um, about 15 years ago, no, more than that, 2004, so 18 years ago, I made a phone call to a guy that I hardly knew and asked if he would be willing for me to come intern at his church for the summer because I had slacked off and hadn't gotten my internship hours that I needed to have and I was about a semester away from graduation. And he happened to say yes. My wife taught so we could come up for free. It was, it was really easy. Like, hey, do you want free labor for the summer? Most church guys would go, uh, yes, come on. And then when I came up here, it just so happened that the guy that they had working, uh, who was leading, who was their director of discipleship and, and did some family ministry stuff, which no one wants me doing, but he did, he did worship, um, that he was, had decided he didn't want to go into ministry anymore, and that he was leaving. And so before I graduated seminary, while all of my friends were scrambling, because they had a hard time finding jobs, I had an offer on the table at a place that my wife and I were pretty comfortable and thought would be pretty great. It's kind of fortunate, don't you think? Some might even say lucky. Did I work really hard for that? Nope. 
I picked up the phone because I had slacked off on the one thing that I didn't care about in seminary because it didn't have to do with books and dead people. It had to do with live people, you know, and internships. Even if you worked really hard for everything you've gotten, that work ethic, the gifts you have, remember that we call them that? The, the things that you can do well, we call them your gifts. <laughs> and don't worry, it's their church too, okay? Even those things that we do really well, we call them gifts for a reason because you didn't make them, they're, they're given. And I've said it before, Say it all the time because I, I love the imagery. But if you were born in 8th century Tibet, I don't care how hard you worked, you would not be w- worried about your multi-thousand square foot house. If you're lucky, you'd be worried about a mud hut. If you're lucky. God is the creator. He gives all that we have, but he gives it in trust. Not for us to own. Okay? So that's the first principle drawn from the passage. Here, here's the second one. Not everyone is given the same amount. <laughs> Did you see that in the passage? I mean, obviously you saw it. Um, look at verse 15. He gives one dude five talents, another two, and a third one. Now let me explain a couple things. First, what is a talent? When we say talent, we think ability. That's not what this means, okay? A talent is a measurement. In the, in the ancient world, it was a measurement, especially a measurement of money, and a large measurement of money, okay? One talent, one talent was equal to what an average worker would hope of earning in half of his life. Okay? So one talent is equal to about half of what you could, the average worker could hope to earn in half of his life. So let's put that into a modern perspective. Uh, the U.S. Census Bureau says the average worker in America can hope, and again, average worker in America can hope to earn about $2.7 million over the span of his lifetime or her lifetime. So what we're looking at here, if we were to translate this into our time, is that this guy is giving a seven-figure amount to these three people, okay? He's giving one guy like $6 million, another dude like almost three, and then he's giving one dude like, you know, a million dollars, a million and a half. And he's not giving them the same amount, and that can really bug us, right? Especially when we, when we know that this parable is meant to speak about, how, about God and, and his work. Because, I mean, that's not fair, is it? It's not fair. Well, the short of it is, you know, why doesn't everyone get treated absolutely equally? The short of it is, is that this idea of fairness is a very American principle. It's, it's not very biblical, In that sense, like biblically, fairness is everyone getting what they need, not everyone getting the exact same amount or the exact same thing, okay? Um, So here's the base of the principle. Whether you have a lot or a little, okay? The one dude had a lot. I mean, all of them had a lot, if we're being honest. But relatively, one dude had a lot. The other dude had far less, one-fifth of what the other guy did. But all of it... All of it, all of it, God has given. It isn't that he gave everyone the same and some made more of it, nor is it that he gave everyone the, the, the same, necessarily the same opportunity. I mean, purely from a financial standpoint. 
The guy with five talents, the guy with the six million dollars is more likely to do more with it than the guy with, you know, almost two or one and a half, right? It's purely from that. Purely from a financial perspective. They are on unequal footing. But at the same time, if you notice this, when the master returns, he doesn't seem too concerned on the overall return on investment, does he? He doesn't seem overly concerned on you know what? I expect you with the one talent or you with the two talents to outperform the guy with the five. He's not worried about that. He's just worried about, did you do something with it? Did you do something with it? Did you put it to work? Okay. So the first principle, everything's God's and it remains his. Second, not everyone is given the same amount. Now the third, that God's stuff is for his purposes. Hmm. This is the notion of stewardship. Now, the notion of stewardship, the word stewardship, has become a very Christian-y word, right? When, when you, especially if you've grown up in churches, uh, stewardship Sunday is like the one day of the year that they talk about money, and it generally involves a pledge card, right? We have no pledge cards, so don't worry about that. Uh, but uh, stewardship is not a Christian word. It has to do with um, the way estates were run. So in the ancient world, um, if a master was going to go, if a landowner, a wealthy landowner was going to go on a trip and he was going to go away, what he would do is he would put his chief slave, that's what they mean when they say servant, his chief slave in charge of his property. Now, here's the thing. That slave was charged to run the property but not like he would run it. He was charged to run it like the master would run it. Now, the slave may think, finally, that dude is a yahoo. I finally get to do everything the way I wanted to. But if, he, if the master returns and the slave has done everything the way he wanted to, the master is not going to be happy. And that that guy is going to be punished. He's not there to make changes. He is there to do what the master would want him to do with it. So remember, I mean, this, this, is, this is obvious because remember in the first century, in the ancient world, there's no quick communication. You're not sending a text like, hey, uh, crops are coming in. What do you want me to do with it this time? Hey, um, we just got this dividend. How do you think I should reinvest? No, it was, he was expected to know the mind of his master enough to know this comes in, this is what he would do with it. His purposes. He has a goal in mind. I'm here to achieve that goal. That was the whole point. With me? The stuff is the master's, and he, that master expects that it's going to be used as he would use it. Now, does that mean the slave didn't benefit from it? Well, no. Of course he benefited from it. He lived on it. And I would imagine, while the master's gone, he lived well. Somebody's got to run the place. Somebody's got to have the nice stuff while the master's gone, and I'm sure it was him. He lived well, and the master didn't mind that. Because the whole point was, it was not like, I'm keeping you in abject poverty. It was, do with my stuff the way I, I want it done. It has to be used for his purposes. So listen, the Bible tells us that you and I are stewards of what God has given us. And the implication is, is that we are called to use that stuff, to use that stuff according to his purposes. 
Here's the clearest way to say that. According to the Bible, stay with me, because this can be hard. According to the Bible, your money is not your money. It's his money. And he would, enjoy, he would very much like it if you used his money for his purposes. We are like investment managers. Some of you in this room do that, and you know what that means. If you suddenly withdraw your client's money and use it for your own purposes, or use their dividends on yourself, that is not just bad management. That is theft. That is theft. I'm gonna say that again. That is called theft. Okay? All right, last principle is simply this, and then we're gonna get into the attitudes. That our view of God, let me say that again, our view of God is reflected in how we use our money. Huh, where do you get that, Rick? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look down at verses 24 and 25. So it's in these verses that this dude with the one talent is trying to give an excuse for why he did what he did. And he says this, I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you don't sow, you gather where you did not spread seed, so I was afraid. Basically what he's saying is, I know that you're a lazy dude and you make us do all the work and you don't do nothing. So I was afraid and I hid the stuff. So here's the reality about this story. We have no idea about the veracity of this charge, do we? We have no clue. Was the landowner really lazy? I don't know. We kind of all assume that, right, because he was rich? Let's be honest. We all go, yep, he had hired people doing everything. Dude didn't work for anything. He just got a silver spoon. Like, we all have that thought. He could have been really hard worker. We don't know. But we have no idea about the veracity of this charge. We aren't told anything about this master. But from what we can tell, the story seems a little different than how he's portraying them. Especially the results, right? Because when, he, when, when the guys like, end up coming and saying, here's what I did with what you gave me, he says, awesome. I am going to lavish you. Like another version of the story says, you, you did really well with these five talents. I'm going to give you five cities to run. I don't know if you know, like a city is worth a little more than a talent of money, right? The, the benefit far overshadows what the guy got from it. And so he doesn't seem to be a stingy, hard man. He seems to be rather generous, right? So why did this guy, why didn't he do something with the money? He didn't do anything because his attitude towards the master was negative. And, and the crazy thing about it is, the master then, his, his response to this servant is based on his servant's view of him. He says, oh, that's how you know me to be? Okay, then that's how I'm gonna be. You think I'm a hard man and I do things rough? Okay, then I will. And so he does. Here's the point I want us to get. If your view of God is that he is an absentee father, a distant do-nothing, or completely non-existent, then that's gonna impact how you use the resources he has given you. Namely, you'll either hoard them, afraid of not being taken care of, or you're gonna frivolously spend them on yourself to get yours while you can. If you think God is a taskmaster who demands you to pay your due to him, what you're gonna do is you're gonna find 
where the mark is, right? Where's the mark? Where's the thing that he says, this is what I have to give, this is what I have to do with it so that I can get there and that's it, right? That stomping on a few toes, maybe? And the reason you do that is because you're trying to avoid punishment. But if you believe that God is generous, think with me, extravagant even, if you believe that he has met all of your needs in Christ, and because of Jesus has promised, like we heard last week, to never leave you or forsake you, then you will probably reflect, more than probably, we know this, you will reflect that generosity with no fear. Because there's nothing that anything can give you. Because Jesus has already given you everything. Our view of God is reflected in how we use our money. All right, so that's the four principles. Now let me, let me give, give the two attitudes, okay? And listen, you know as well as I do that those principles are not convenient. They're not convenient. We don't want to hear that all we have is God's. We don't want to hear that. And immediately, most of us, when we hear that, what we think is, oh, like Rick's saying I have to be uh, crazy poor and live on the street and I have to sell everything I have. That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, be honest with you, the, the Bible never says that. You're like, well, what about Jesus? He told a rich guy to sell everything. He had, okay, that specific teaching to a specific person about a specific issue in a specific heart, Okay. There's nowhere in scripture where we see guys just going like, I'm selling everything I have. Now in the New Testament, we do see the church giving of extra stuff. They sell land they don't need. They're like, I'm gonna give the proceeds. That could benefit them, sure. But that's not what we see. We immediately run there because we want it to be an excuse for why we don't have to listen to what's being said, okay? So stay with me. We don't wanna hear these principles because we'd like to be able to do as we please. And we don't want to hear that and we want to do as we please because of a problem that the Bible details. You see, you and I were made to be dependent. We're made to, we are contingent beings. And what that means is that we need something to live. And you know this. <sighs> right? You have to breathe. You have to eat. You have to drink. Like you have to do certain things to live. We are needy, needy. I know we don't like to say that, but that's what we are. We're needy creatures. All creatures are. And we were made to be that way. We were made to be dependent. We cannot exist in isolation. And the Bible says that we were made for God. We were made to be in relationship with him, made to love him, made to be dependent on him with all of our being even joyfully dependent. Can you imagine what it would be like to be joyfully dependent? Most of us, if we find ourselves to be needy, hate that, don't we? We end up like despising that part of us and wanting to push it out of the way. The Bible kind of gives this image of especially the first two people as being joyfully dependent. God says, I've given you this garden. Go, everything in it, eat everything except this one thing. Eat everything. I've given you everything except this one thing. It's all from me. But we believed a lie. We believed that we didn't need to be dependent. 
that God wasn't trustworthy and so we betrayed him and we turned away. That's what sin is. Sin is seeking to be independent of God. Think, we need to say that over and over. Sin is not simply immorality. It's not just notorious things. It's not sex, drugs, stealing. I mean, it, it is, but it isn't just that. Do you actually know that in the scriptures, God tells his people to stop worship services? He says, stop doing the worship service. Uh, and some of you who grew up in church are thinking, that, well, they must have been doing it wrong. No, they were doing it right, following the rules. And he says, stop doing this. It's driving me crazy. And the reason it's driving him crazy is because our hearts are in the wrong place. And he not only does he say it's driving him crazy, he says, this is offensive to me. Wait a minute. They're singing the right songs. They're reciting the right creeds. They're doing the right worship. God says, you're right, you are. And it's offensive. Stop it. Just stop it. Your hearts are wrong. See, he didn't tell them to stop because what they were doing was wrong. It's because of why they were doing it. They were doing it to achieve something, to get something. In other words, what I mean by that is you can be really, really good and really, really independent. You can think your morality, your responsibility, your religiosity can stand on its own apart from God. And so you kind of stay aloof from him. See how, how, how mature I am as a Christian. I don't need God as much anymore. He's going, stop it. All of this is offensive to me. I don't want your morality. I want you. I don't, I, quit offering me this chump change. The Bible says that that is sin. So sin can look ugly and sin can look pretty. It can look like the person of the year. It can look like a train wreck. And we want to be independent and according even to this parable, we show it by our attitude towards our money. Okay. And the reality is, though, is that we're not independent. And that all we get from that attempt is, is, of independence is judgment. Like we're betraying God. And, and I know that some of us get confused when I say that because you've been going to church your whole life. You've been doing the right things. You've been living the right way. We keep our nose clean. It's hard to believe that that's betraying God. But listen, if your Christianity looks like self-help with Jesus tacked onto the end of the altar, that is not the gospel. The gospel doesn't tell us what to do to get to God. It tells us what God did to get to us. It is not a four-step plan to straighten your life. It's about a savior who straightens your life. Jesus came to live perfect, like we couldn't. We're by nature bent away from God, but Jesus' relationship with the Father looked like him depending on him every second of every moment of his life. Are you up to that? I doubt it. I more than doubt it. I know you can't. I can't. But Jesus is up to it. He lived it, and he lived it for you. But betrayals are betrayals, and when you betray, someone's got to bear the weight of that, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what all of this is about. So in Jesus, God came, and though we deserved hell for betraying him, for pursuing our independence, whether that's pretty or ugly, he bore the wrath of God on the cross and then he rose again and calls us to repent of our independence and place our faith in him. But we, by nature, rage against that. Because it's dependence and I don't want that. 
I don't want that. We want independence. And it's shown in our money, in our knowledge, in our attitude towards our skills, in everything. But the gospel says that we aren't independent and even better. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. This is why Christianity says that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God because faith in Jesus is the only way to return to dependence on God instead of stubbornly trying to earn something before him. All we ever have or will have, whether that's what's in your bank account or your ability to do the right thing, is from him. It's like it would be very much like you giving an allowance to your child and then coming back and offering you money that you just gave them and saying, aren't I so awesome? Look how generous it is I am. I, I gave you money. And it's like, you gave me my money. Thanks. Like, I, I didn't need it in the first place, so I gave it to you, you know? Like, it's, it's not, that's not the way this works. Everything is of grace. Your place before God, your gifts, even your money. Everything is his and he gives us everything and, and it is his pleasure to do so. It is his pleasure to do so. Right? Like I said last week, uh, Paul, one of the uh, early Christian leaders who wrote a bunch of the New Testament says, like, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all, will he not with him, in, in him, give us all things? It's like it's his pleasure to give us. You can lay your trust in God with all you have because he has shown you what he is willing to give you in his son. Okay? First attitude, all is grace. Second has to do with stewarding our resources. What does it mean to steward God's resources? Now, as I say that, many, if not most of us, are expecting that I'm going to talk about giving to the church. Um, that is part of this whole thing, but it goes beyond that. Because you see, God's purposes are made manifest in the church, but our stewardship doesn't end when we write a tithe check. Or on your app, or whatever you do. Next week, we're going to talk more specifically. So I want to talk today simply about attitudinal changes. When we look at our finances, what does it mean to steward God's resources? It means, first and foremost, when we look at our finances... We need to be asking the question, am I using these in the best way to invest in God's kingdom? Now notice I did not say when we look at our disposable income, we need to ask the question. I said our finances, all of them. God gives us everything. Am I using my resources the best way to further God's kingdom in the world or am I using them to increase, to ever increase my standard of living? Am I, am I using them to follow the middle class dream where next year my, my life is a little better than it was the previous year and then it's a little better after that and a little better after that and while, while all along I go, well, here's my bottom line, that, here's the line that I have to do to get God not angry with me and then everything else is this. Am I using my resources in the best way to further God's kingdom? Now, some of you are thinking, but Rick, God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, he does. God loves a cheerful giver because it shows that your heart is lined up with his. Not because he thinks he's lucky to have the change out of your pocket. 
A cheerful giver means someone who is like him because he delights in giving. Some of us in this room are in financial stress, not because of crazy circumstances, but because we are living above what God has provided for us. And we keep telling ourselves, we will show generosity, we will be hospitable, we will do all these things when we just make a little bit more. Can I ask you a question? Where is your heart? God gave you all you have and for some reason we think he should be content with the leftovers. It wasn't yours to begin with. We need to repent and stop looking to our lifestyle to satisfy us and to give us status. Okay? That is what Jesus came to do. He came to give us a status. He came to satisfy us. We need to begin thinking of money as his and then going to his word, seeking his face in prayer for wisdom and how to use it for his glory, okay? Attitudinal change. One last thing. See, often we can hear these kind of messages and think that godliness equals frugality. <laughs> that, that's not what I'm saying, okay? And I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure we're, we're clear on that. Frankly, that's nowhere in the Bible. I mean, you might be able to make a couple of arguments from Proverbs, but there's so many mixed messages in there that you'd have to balance them with something else. It's definitely not taught in this passage. See, the master chides the unfaithful servant that he should have at least, at least put the money in the bank. Now, for us, we go, yeah, why wouldn't you just do that? Because in the ancient world, the bank was not very safe. The safest place to put your money was in the ground where no one knew where to get it. The bankers could just mess it all up. There was no like insurance guaranteeing that your money will always be there. It was like, banker decides to do something with it, loses it, it's gone. It's reckless. The safest thing, the most frugal thing that that servant could have done with his master's money was put it in a hole so it doesn't get spent. And, and the master was not happy with that. He said, you should have at least tried but what if I lost it? Then at least you would have tried. <laughs> God's purposes are his glory and human flourishing, not saving money necessarily. Okay? His glory and human flourishing. Sometimes that will mean more or mean paying a little bit more for a service because the person needs the work. Sometimes it'll mean giving sacrificially because of a special need. But the gospel frees us to see everything as grace because the only thing you and I have ever earned from God is judgment. Only. That's the only thing. But because of Jesus, because we see the love of God for us in him, we can joyfully use all that he gives for his glory because he gave everything so that we might be glorified in him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, change our hearts. Change our hearts. I know that some of us right now are really struggling. Maybe all of us in some way. Some of us are struggling because we're like, uh, our toes are feeling bashed right now and we need, and, and we're, we're tempted to run to shame. 
But Lord, I ask that you would, that you would push against that because the only thing shame does is keeps us from repenting. Really. And some of us, some of us right now are, are thinking we're, we're fine and we've forgotten that you're the mark. You're the measuring stick. Not a percentage, it's you. So all of us need to grow. We all need to change. We all need more of this in our lives. Because if we're gonna be the kind of people that reflect you in the world, that image you, then we're gonna have to be extravagant people. Extravagant in our generosity. So help us to be that. Maybe just a little bit more than when we came in here. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.